may be dismissed for junior church at this time. Well, good morning. If you are an astute observer of your bulletins, as I know each of you are this week, I am not Pastor Dave. If you're a visitor with us, my name is Pastor Arya Mavaji. Uh, I am another pastor here at the church. Dave is out sick today, and so he asked me to fill in, and I always love bringing you God's Word, so I said yes. So today we're going to continue in our series in the membership, looking at 1 Peter, and I'm looking forward to opening God's Word with you. Will you go with me in a word of prayer now before we begin? Father, your Son Jesus Christ is worthy, as we have sung, worthy is our Lamb, the one who was slain and the one who was raised and now lives forevermore. He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our prayers. He is worthy of our thanks. Father, as we come to your word, we ask that you would increase our worship. Make our minds keen to understand the things written in your holy word. By your Holy Spirit, open our eyes to understand. Through the preaching of your word now, equip your church for ministry. Help us all to be followers of Jesus Christ more fully and faithfully from spending time examining your holy scriptures. Thank you that you condescended to speak to us. Speak now, Lord, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. I know many of you have seen this happen. In fact, you may have seen this happen at our church after Sunday mornings when all the chairs are broken down. The kids are running around and they're playing games. Oftentimes they're playing tag or freeze tag, but here's the problem that usually happens when kids just spontaneously start playing games. No one has any idea what the rules are, and they're all being made up as they go. You've seen these games of freeze tag where the kids decide, oh, we're going to start running around, and this kid decides that's the base, that kid decides that's the base, and this kid decides there is no base, and four people think they're it, and they can't decide whether you tag or go between the legs to unfreeze. And by about halfway through that game of freeze tag, everyone's angry and upset, including all the parents who have to break up the game of freeze tag because nobody has any idea what's going on and all the kids are frustrated with one another. Well, you know what? Sometimes I'm afraid that that same problem of nobody having any idea what's going on or what the rules are, that might actually plague some of, churches, some of our churches as well. That we're not sure who is governing, what the rules are, and how the whole thing's supposed to be run. Let me give an example. I did not grow up in church. I became a Christian in middle school, and shortly after coming to faith in Christ, I joined a church called Lamar Baptist Church, a good Texas Southern Baptist church, and that's where I spent the rest of my time as a young Christian. That's where Kate and I met, and it's a wonderful church, a godly church where I grew up, and yet 
I think they have the freeze tag problem. Let me give you a little explanation of Lamar Baptist Church. It's not this way anymore. Lamar Baptist was a congregationally ruled church. That means that they, their congregation took votes on certain matters. Now, what matters, I'm not entirely sure. I know we did it when we had a pastor getting hired. The congregation gets together, vote on that, on the finances, but I'm not really sure who decided what we voted on. And the pastor, the senior pastor, was pretty much in charge of running the church and got to do what he pleased, how he pleased to do it. That's unless, of course, the deacons got involved. There were no elders, so the deacons kind of worked like elders. So they were servants of the church, but they were also the HR department who took care of the pastor. And if something was going on with the pastor, they had to handle the HR side of things. And the senior pastor basically did mostly anything he desired, unless, of course, the deacons needed to be involved, in which case he had to consult with them. But he also couldn't do anything he wanted, although he could, unless, of course, a committee was involved. And Baptists love committees. Like, they really love committees. There was the hospitality committee, there was the missions committee, the VBS committee, the youth leadership committee, the finance committee. My personal favorite committee was the committee on committees, the committee that decides who's on the other committee. I want to know how you get on the committee to commit to other committees. I'm not really sure how that worked. You see, kind of by the time you're done with this whole uh, round and round we go, by the time someone wants to actually do something in the church, you have no idea who you're supposed to talk to. And it's kind of like the game of freeze tag where you wonder who's in charge and how do the rules work? You know, there are some modern evangelicals that play fast and loose with church governance like that even today, believing that God's holy word does not have a whole lot to tell us about the way in which God designed his church to be organized and structured. And yet that is not true. Within God's word, we have clear words on how God's church is to be organized, divinely ordained structure for organization and for authority. This is for the good of every single Christian and for the glory of God in the church. And so today, as we finish up our series on church membership, I want to look at this, God's design for God's church. God's design for God's church. Over the last two weeks, Dave has helped us to get some of the framework for what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. In the first week, he told us that we are a body, a member of the body of Christ, a member of the invisible church of God, that when a person is rescued from their sins, forgiven of their sins, or regenerated by the Spirit, any of these terms meaning the same thing, they become Christian, they become a member of the body of Christ. This invisible, global, throughout all of eternity, body of Christ. And we all have gifts and functions within that body. But then the second week he told us, we're not merely functional, utilitarian members of a body, we are members of a family of God. When the Christian is adopted into God's family, we are adopted into having brothers and sisters, spiritual mothers and fathers, aunts and uncles, and the central rule of the family of God is love one another. So we are members of the body of Christ. We each have a part to play, and we are members in a family of love. Well, today we will see God's order for God's church. We'll be looking at that primarily from 1 Peter chapter 5. You can turn with me there to 1 Peter 5. 
This is not going to be an exegetical sermon in the sense that I will exegete 1 Peter 5, but rather it's a topical exegetical sermon in that we're going to be thinking about the structure of the church from certain passages of Scripture, and we'll be looking at those passages exegetically, not cherry-picking and deciding what I want each passage to mean. In your bulletin, it says verses 1 to 4. I'm going to pick up verse 5. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 of 1 Peter chapter 5. This is going to lay a lot of the framework for us, but we'll go to other passages as well. Let's read. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising authority, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders." Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We're going to see three things today. There's a threefold structure to God's church. Firstly, there are qualified elders who oversee. Secondly, there are qualified deacons serving. And thirdly, there are qualified members submitting qualified elders overseeing, qualified deacons serving, and qualified members submitting. Now, that middle point on deacons, I'm going to have to pull that to the side for today. We'll have to get to deacons another day. Today, we're going to primarily look at elders and members, since this is a membership series. Peter starts off, and he says, I exhort the elders among you. His word is from an elder for an elder. So at this point in Peter's letter of 1 Peter, he says, elders of the readers of this letter, I want to address you. And he wants to address them as a fellow elder. You see, Peter was an elder at the church of Jerusalem. Uh, In case you're not aware, in your New Testament, you may have a slightly different translation. The word in the New Testament that is elder or overseer or pastor might also be bishop sometimes in your translations. They're all the same word. So the idea of a pastor and an elder is the exact same thing in the New Testament. There is no distinction between them. You might call me or Dave Pastor Dave or Pastor Aria, but you don't call Jim Moyer Pastor Jim or Todd Pastor Todd, and yet the role and the function we serve in the church is the exact same according to the New Testament. So if you hear me interchange pastor and elder today, it's because they are in fact the same thing. And Peter is specifically an elder in the church of Jerusalem. And so from the position of an elder, he's writing to the other elders. But he's not merely just an elder. He's also an apostle. You see there he says, he is a fellow elder and, verse 1, a witness of the sufferings of Christ. You see, Peter held a special position as an apostle that modern elders do not hold. And that is the position of an apostle, one who had been personally commissioned by the resurrected Lord Jesus to be a leader of the church, sent out on the Great Commission by Jesus himself. There were only 12 of these men, the 11 disciples, not Judas, and then also the apostle Paul. You know, today there are some charismatic Christians that would hold that this apostleship's open, and yet 
in the scriptures, we see it's clear that this was reserved for these men, and we privilege their writings in the New Testament as an authoritative word from God for us today. So Peter is writing to the other elders as a fellow elder, says, hey, I know what, you, what sort of job you have to do. I'm doing the same thing. But he's also speaking with authority to them because he's an apostle, gifted and inspired by the Spirit of God to be a leader of the church. What does he have to say to these fellow elders? What are they to do in the church? He says, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. The main command, the main thing he wants his other elders to recognize is they are to be shepherds of the flock of God. Their congregation is the flock the Christians in their care, that is their flock. And he wants these elders of the churches to shepherd them like a shepherd does for his sheep, caring for them, tending to them, being tender and protecting them. He says, elders, think of yourself like a shepherd thinks toward his sheep. You know, Dave has been good to help our elders think through what this means. He picked up a fourfold rubric that our elders can think through from somewhere else. I want to give that to you. This is how your elders here at Cornerstone think of what it means to shepherd the flock that is among us, exercising oversight. It means four things for us. It means feeding, leading, knowing, and protecting. Or the way I believe Dave says it is know, feed, lead, and protect. We are called to know the congregation. That is what it means to shepherd, to know the activities going on in your lives, to know something about who you are, the members of our church, to know hurts or pains going on, to pay attention when the prayer chains come through and to pray for you, to know the joys of your life and to celebrate them with you, to know you, our congregation to feed you healthy portions of God's Word. That's what we do each and every Sunday morning here from the pulpit. This is what we do in the songs that we're sung. This is what we do in the life group classes that are taught. We want to give you, feed you the Word of God. This is what it means to shepherd the flock. How are you going to be grown up into maturity? It is as your elders give you the Word of God and feed it to you. But not merely in the pulpit and in classes, but You can expect this of your elders when we talk to you in conversations. That we don't reserve this word of God for the pulpit. We don't reserve it for classes when we have our notes in front of us and we're ready. But rather, the elders are to shepherd the flock by taking this word and having it saturate our mind and our lips so that when we just have a regular conversation with you, we can't help but think of it in the terms of the word of God. We have to do this in our counseling with you, that we feed you the Word of God, not the most modern counseling techniques, but rather the Word of God to help counsel you through the situations of your life, to feed you the Word of God, to shepherd and to oversee this congregation, to know, to feed, to lead. The elders of this church are to lead you. That's what it means. A shepherd leads his flock. He guides his sheep, what, to food and to water. And it is the job of the elders to lead the church that is the flock. To lead you to know how we will glorify God together and how we will make disciples together. 
to give direction, to give structure and guidance to the ways in which it'll happen among our church at our congregation. And lastly, to protect the flock. You know, we've got those famous stories of King David out on the hills with his sheep and the lions and the bears come. And what is the shepherd supposed to do? Fight the things which will hurt his flock. And this is what elders are to do, to oversee the flock by protecting the flock, caring for them from false gospels, false teachings of the scriptures, to protect from false brothers that would seek to sneak in, to protect the congregation from sin that is inward, the sin that might seek to fester, whether it's division or disunity, to root that sin out of the church. And lastly, to protect the church from outward persecution. Whether that means cultural pressure like we see so much in our time now, or it means actual physically putting ourselves in harm's way so that you, our church, are protected from persecution outside this building. The church, the elders of a church are called to shepherd the flock of God by knowing them, feeding them, leading them, and protecting them. This is what you can expect of your elders here, for Peter calls elders to this task. Shepherd the flock that's among you. How are they to go about this task? Peter gives some qualifications for the manner in which this is to be done. Look there, starting in verse 3. He says, or sorry, in verse 2 here, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. You see, it's the job of an elder to take joy and to willingly give themselves to that work. Not to do it under compulsion. Man, I have to do this. Well, I guess I'm an elder here. I guess I have to go counsel this person. Or to do it for gain, like you want something out of it. That's not the work of an elder, not to be receiving anything from it, not to uh, be doing it because they have to, but eagerly and willingly. Let me tell you one way that I would love for you to help me do this well, eagerly and joyfully. I can't count the number of times that someone will come up to me after the service or catch me during the week and say, hey, I know you're tremendously busy, but do you have a minute for me? You know what? There's always a minute for you. There's always time. Jesus was tremendously busy, and he always had time for people, didn't he? What are elders other than shepherds under the great shepherd? And so when you come, please don't apologize for taking mine or any of our elders' times. We're here joyfully, willingly to give ourselves to you, our congregation. Elders are to do it Willingly and eagerly, verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. I love this. Jesus says, you're not to be like the Gentile leaders who lord it over others as if they have strong power on high to make people do what they want. Jesus says, no, you're not to be that way. You're to be the servant of all. He says this to his disciples who will become apostles. And what are elders? Elders are not those who domineer over the congregation, forcing the congregation to do things. No, they are ones who set an example for the flock. Paul will go on to say more about this in 1 Timothy where he says, it is the responsibility of an elder to be such an example of Jesus Christ 
that if he is not faithfully doing this in his own home, he is not qualified to be an elder of any church. For a man who cannot manage his own household is not fit to manage the household of God. You see, an elder is called to be an example, one who you look to and you say, I can see Jesus Christ in that man. It's not to become little versions of the elders that you follow. We don't want you to become little Daves up here, although you will be littler than Dave. We don't want you to become little me's or Jim's or Todd's or Brad's. No, what it means to be an example to the flock means when you look at that man's life, you say, if I was a bit like that, I would be a better follower of Jesus Christ. If I loved my wife like he loves his, if I loved my husband like he loves his wife, I think I'd be a better follower of Jesus. You know, if I raised my kids like, like he's doing it in some of those ways, I think I'd be a better follower of Jesus. If my personal devotional life was more like that, if my prayer life was a bit more like that, I think I'd be a better follower of Jesus. You know, it's a lot easier to follow Jesus when you see an example of it. When you see the example of a godly man or a godly woman living it out. Some of you have received this in your own parents. Praise God for those of you who have that. Man, it's a tremendous blessing when you can see an example of a mature, faithful Christian. And every elder is to be that example, one who examples Jesus Christ to the flock. And so Peter calls elders to this humble, shepherd-hearted leadership position, to a position where they will be meek and yet bold. They will be compassionate yet full of conviction. You see, elders are to be leaders of God's church, guiding the church into a sin-soaked culture. They're William Wallace heading into the battlefield, fighting sin where they, where they see it. And yet at the same time, they are tender-hearted shepherds of God's flock. Elders, I hope I'm starting to scare some of you here. I hope some of you are starting to be like, oh boy, this is, this is too much. This is too high of a calling, for truly it is. It is too much a call on the life of men to call them to be such examples of Jesus Christ. Because with man, this is not possible. But by the Spirit of God, all things are possible. And so men of this church, those of you who are not elders, I want to give you a charge here. All of you, every last one of you, followers of Jesus Christ, men, whether you're 14 or you're 84, all of you should be aspiring to be like the character of an elder. I don't have time to get into 1 Peter chapter 3 where those qualifications are spelled out. But all of you should be aspiring to such godly characteristics and qualities that you would be an example of Jesus Christ. Most of the men here in our church will not be elders, and that's okay. That doesn't mean you won't be mature men of God. For we are all members of the body of Christ, and we each have our role and our function. To some he calls to be elders, to some he calls to be deacons, to some he calls to serve in the church faithfully, and no one even knows what you're doing, but you are faithful at it. Aspire to the character of an elder. Some of you, however, God may one day call you to be an elder. Perhaps of this church, perhaps of another church you will be at one day. 
Here's what I want you to ask yourselves, all the men here. I want you to ask this of yourself. What must happen in your life for you to be ready to be an elder in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years, young guys, teenagers? What would it take for you to be ready to lead churches? Would it take you knowing the Word of God more? Go study. Would it take you defeating sin in your life? Go put it to death. Would it take you not working so much? Find a way to stop working so much. Would it take you learning how to shepherd people through hard counseling situations? Then don't run away from them. Try and help others through those times. What would it take? What's standing in the way from you one day maybe taking up that position in a church? If there is something, you can say, I know what would stop me. Maybe that's something that needs to be rooted out if you aspire one day to be an elder. Ladies, I do say men in this case because the biblical scriptures are clear on the qualifications for eldership is men. I would love to talk to you about that. If that's something you struggle with or you're confused about, like why is it just addressed to the men here or why do the scriptures just point eldership to men? I would love to tell you more about why that is the case and how it works its way out. Uh, I wish I had time today to do it for you, but I don't. So Peter calls elders to shepherd the flock of God joyfully, willingly, not under compulsion, and to be an example. Then, if they do it faithfully, look at what the reward here is. Verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. There's what I meant. Jesus is the chief shepherd, and your elders are under shepherds. The leaders of churches are underneath the shepherding sight of Jesus. Jesus is the great shepherd. And when that shepherd appears, faithful elders who have shepherded well will be rewarded with an unfading crown of glory, a reward which elders will gladly give all the glory back to God for. There is a reward which will only further magnify our Lord Jesus Christ. And so how is a church to be structured and ordered? The scriptures are clear that elders are to shepherd the flock by leading and guiding. They are the ones who are in the position of guiding the church, having authority in the church. But then there are not merely elders in the church, there are also members in the church qualified members submitting in the church. There in verse 5, you see, after he's addressed the elders and what they're supposed to be doing, he says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. That word younger actually does mean younger here. The elders are older men typically, although that's not always the case. We see young Timothy is an elder of a church, and he's considered a young man. This idea of younger, those who are younger in the church, this could be newer is a way to translate it. So this is, generally speaking, to Christians. Younger in the faith, following the example of their elders. You who are younger, be subject to the elders. The book of Hebrews says it this way. The author says to the readers, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. 
Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You see, the call of the member of a local church is to submit themselves and to obey their elders. Does that prick any of you hard? Does that rub against your red-blooded American individual spirit at all to be told to submit to your elders? I know within my own heart, if it wasn't renewed by Jesus Christ, I would think, I don't want to submit to people. I want to be the captain of my own soul, the master of my own fate. And yet we see the church submit itself to Jesus Christ. And Jesus has says, I have given you elders for your good and my glory, and so submit yourselves to them. For elders who faithfully give the church the biblical truth, who are faithful to care for the church, not seeking their own gain, the members of a church are called to submit to those elders. This is only further help for the elders to shepherd the flock of God. For it is a joy to shepherd those who are ready to receive your care. What advantage would it be for elders to do their work with groaning because the congregation is unwilling to follow their lead, even when that lead is godly and faithful? You see, submission in the church is not a bug. It's not a problem. It's actually a feature within the church. It is how God has designed the church that we would all submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and that we would submit ourselves to the authority Jesus has put in place in his church, which are the other elders. By the way, this actually works among the elders. We, as elders, submit ourselves to each other. It's not like the Pastor Dave gets to run the show Cornerstone isn't the Pastor Dave's show, and he would be the first one to tell you that. He submits himself to the other elders as well. This is why there is a plurality at our church. You see, Dave pointed out last week that Christians, we're not called to submit ourselves to every elder everywhere. That can't be possible. We can't hope to do that. We are rather to be called to submit to the elders of our local congregations, the church which you are a part of. For elders to know, feed, lead, and protect, we must know who the flock is that is among us. You see this verse in Hebrews. This is perhaps, perhaps in my life, the verse which most concerns me for myself. For it says, they will give an account. They keep watch over the souls of the congregation as those who will give an account. One day, every elder of this church and every elder of other churches will stand before their Savior, and he will call into account how they cared for the people in their churches. How did you shepherd them? How did you care for their needs? How did you rejoice with them? How did you give them the word of God? How were you unflinching in telling them when there were idols? Were you a faithful shepherd of their souls? And one day God will call into account my life for how I took care of you. If there's any part of eldership that most worries me, it's my care for your souls. And one day I'll give an account for that. But we must know as elders, who will we give an account for? Some of you here today may be a visitor, maybe your first time, maybe your fourth time. We haven't got to know you much at all. Some of you here are not followers of Jesus Christ. 
It is helpful for the elders of a church to know who is the flock which we will be held accountable for. Is it the person who comes for two weeks and is gone? Am I, am I accountable for them? The way that churches, using the scriptures, have seen this responsibility, elders knowing who their flock is, the way we know this is through faithful, or sorry, formal church membership. Actually, formally affiliating with churches through the membership process, to know that we have members of the congregation. This isn't something that was invented by churches. Oh man, one day we need membership. This is something that's in the New Testament. When we see that 3,000 were added to their number, and then more were added to their number, someone's keeping track. When the widows are added to the role of widows, someone's keeping track of who those widows are. You see, membership, formal church membership is biblical. There are some who buck this idea that think, you know, we don't really need to be formally members of a church, do we? I mean, we're members of the body of Christ. We're members when we are saved from our sins, we're grafted into the body of Jesus and given a role within the body. And then I come to a specific church and I can use those gifts that God's given me, but I'm a member of the body. Why do I need to formally become part of a church? Isn't it merely man-made? Can't I just be committed without formally joining? I will be here, right? I'm here, I'm giving of my gifts, I'm giving of my time and my talents. Why is that not enough? Let me give you a little illustration of this. Later today, I'll be going and officiating another wedding, third one of this year. Uh, but, yeah, <laughs> there you go. For Tristan and Amanda. And, <laughs> I really want to know who that is. <laughs> oh, there it is. Thank you, Dean. Okay. Uh, Tristan and Amanda are getting married. And you know what Tristan did? At some point, Tristan got down on one knee and he proposed. And he said, Amanda, I love you. I want to be with you the rest of my life. I think we can honor God more together than we can separately. And so I want to give you this, Rena, as a promise that we are going to get married. And I will make vows to you and I will make this relationship officially within marriage. You see, there's an officialness that happens. Tristan could have showed up and said, hey, Amanda, I love you. I care about you. I really want to be with you for the rest of our lives. I want to have children together with you. Do you want to move in together? And she's like, a lot of that sounded like a proposal and there was no ring. You see, when we, in human relationships, want to make something formal and committed, we take vows. We make promises with that. Or take another example here. Imagine for a moment you're going to buy a car and you walk into the dealership and you tell the salesman, I have $1,000 cash to give you right now and then I promise to give you $500 cash every month for the next three months to buy this car. He says, that's fantastic. Let's do it. I need you to come over here to the finance department. We're going to have you sign a couple. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't need to sign any papers. We don't, we don't need to make this legal. Like, you have my word. That's enough, Right? Are you walking out with a car? No, you are not walking out with a car. Why? Because when we as human beings want to formalize, we want to make sure the commitment is real, we make formal, we take formal action on that, whether that's signing the dotted line 
or like later today, making vows in front of an entire gathering. You see, we are people, when we are serious, we formalize the commitments which are already unspoken. Is not the governance and the the way the church is structured of greater significance than buying a car? We formalize our commitments when we buy cars. Why wouldn't we do so in the body of Christ? When we formally join this church, we are committing ourselves to this church and saying, I will be for the other Christians in this church everything that the New Testament calls me to be. And we are saying as a church that we will be faithful to be everything as a church in leadership and in other Christians to support that person who's joining our membership. The elders know then the congregation which we are held account to by God to know, feed, lead, and protect. This is why we value church membership. And you will continue to hear us speak on this, especially in upcoming congregational meetings, regarding how we want to bring membership more into the front of our church so that we can care for one another well. Well, how then are you, the majority of you here today, who are not elders, called to know, feed, lead, and protect, how are you to apply this message for yourselves today? And it is to help the elders fulfill this calling in their lives, the calling to shepherd this flock. Do so through joining the church, We've been so encouraged by the many who've decided to do this. We hope many more will continue to make that decision. But also, receive the care of your elders as we know, feed, lead, and protect you. Help us to know you by joining life groups. Help us to know you by coming to dinner groups, by hanging out after church, being here and talking with us. Spend time getting to know the other members and the other elders here at the church. Be part of the prayer chain. Understand the needs that are going on here and put your needs on the prayer chain so we can pray for you. Help us to feed you. Make sure that when Sunday morning comes, you're here on time, ready to receive the word of God, ready for prayer, ready for singing, ready for the preaching of the word. You know, on Sunday mornings, do you ever wake up and ask God to get you ready to go to church? Lord, prepare my heart to be ready to enter corporate worship. Help me to see the person I need to minister to and use the pastors and use the worship leaders and the worship team to lead us. Are you ready to be fed when you show up? Ask good questions. Don't keep them quiet to yourself. Ask if you've got a question about the scriptures. Study your words so that you'll have more questions. Consider actually going into the library and checking out some of the books that we say these will help you in your Christian life. You know, we put those books out there. We give book recommendations because we want to feed you good truth from God's word. And there are many faithful Christians who have written that down in their own words. So consider going to the library, checking out a book. Pick up families, young parents. Go to that family discipleship table and use those resources which we have given to you. We are trying to feed you God's word that way. You can help us lead you by following the leadership in other ministry endeavors. VBS is the one that comes to mind most recently. 
what a joy it was that when our church said we will seek to make disciples and to reach children with the gospel through Vacation Bible School, there was no need to hunt down anyone. So many of you went and signed up and said, I'm in. I'll help you do that. That is a wonderful following of the lead of the church. Now, you may have questions about some of the ways that we guide and direct the church. Please make those opinions and those voices known. And yet, when our church goes in a direction faithfully according to God's word, man, follow that. Get on board and and to see disciples made of Jesus Christ. Finally, help us to protect you. Help us to protect you that you'll receive hard words from us. You know, in the pulpit here on Sunday mornings, there's a couple of things that goes through my mind whenever I'm thinking about how to bring the word to you. One of the things that comes to my mind is, how will this word encourage someone today? I want to know how to build you up. Dave and I are thinking about the ways which you need support. Some of you need it today. You need an encouraging word from the Lord. And I pray that you receive that either from life groups, from the pulpit, or in the conversations. But you know what else goes through my mind when I prepare on Sunday mornings? What are the idols in our lives? Individually, as I've talked to many of you, are there idols in your lives? Are there idols in the lives of this congregation as a whole? Are there things which we must speak to to root sin out? You can help as a faithful member of the church to help your elders protect you by receiving the word of God when we give you something that's hard to hear but good for your soul, to receive that. It is the mission of Cornerstone Church to glorify God. That is our primary goal, glorification of our Lord Jesus Christ by making as many people as possible fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. We will be most glorifying to God when we submit to his word, and that includes in the way he structured his church. And pray, I thank God that this church does follow the structure laid out in the New Testament. We will make as many people as possible disciples of Jesus Christ when we have a well-ordered church. So therefore, let us glorify God and let us make disciples through living as qualified elders and as qualified members in this church, knowing that God's structure for God's church will lead to the most glory to God. Let's pray.